You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. Now I don't know about you, but in my house there's a lot of excitement during this time of the year. I'll never forget a few years ago being awakened to what sounded like somebody playing a maraca in my house. You see, it was about 2.30 in the morning, and my oldest daughter at the time decided to go to the bathroom at 2.30 a.m. As she was walking to the bathroom, she ended up finding an egg full of jelly beans that my wife had hidden. And with that, what did she do at 2.30 in the morning? She picked it up and she started shaking it as loud as she could. Well, I got up to see what's going on to find my daughter. I looked at her. I said, hey, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm hungry. What did she want? Candy. And I can't help but to think that many of you are just like that. You are so excited about this time of the year because you get to eat chocolate. You get to eat uh, candy. You get to eat these things on the side screen right now called a what? Peep. Yeah, some of you are excited about them. Some of you like to stick them in the microwave and explode them. I don't know, whatever you like to do, you're excited about that. As my kids have gotten older, however, they're not so much excited about candy, but they're excited about something else, and it's called this, spring break. Now, some of the parents in the room, you're excited that spring break's almost over because you get to send the kids back, right? But the kids in the room are so excited, and here's the reason why. You get a week off of school. You get to stay up late. You get to watch movies. You get to go outside and play. You get to do all kinds of stuff. But enough about the kids. I think there are some adults in here who are really excited about this time of the year. Why is that? Because the weather's changing. I don't know about you, but the weather the past couple of days has been awesome, has it not? It's been warmer, but not too warm, right? Others of you are excited because many of us have a birthday during this time of the year. Some of you are excited because you get to see family and friends. But have you ever thought about why we look forward to candy, spring break, sending kids back to school, warm weather, celebrations, family and friends? What is it that you hope to gain? For many of us in here this morning, what we are hoping to gain is rest and peace, But did you really, or can you really achieve rest and peace that you long for during this time of the year through these things? I mean, take candy, for instance. Candy's good for a moment. But I don't know about you, but for me, when I start to eat candy, comfort and peace starts to be replaced by guilt because I found out this past week I ate an entire bag of these things that you see on the side screen. What are these? (laughs) Cadbury mini eggs. Anybody else done that? Okay, a few of you are my friends. Okay, I see. I see how it goes. But when I ate those things, I enjoyed them, but then I started to feel guilty and my peace was gone. For the students in the room, guess what's going to happen next week, probably Monday or Tuesday? Spring break's going to come to an end. And the parents in the room, sending your kids back to school may bring you peace for a bit, but it's not going to last forever because why? School activities, extracurricular activities start to come back again. We say, where's the peace gone? And when it comes to this weather, which is absolutely amazing, Many of us know what's coming in a few weeks. 110, 115, right? I've got friends who tell me, they say, Travis, well, it's a dry heat. And I say, so is a blowtorch, right? (laughs) It's very, very hot. But the temperatures start to increase and the peace starts to go. Birthdays, we find out, hey, those are great. But then we start hitting milestones because we're no longer in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. We get hotter, we get older, and the peace is gone. Now, I know some of you right now are like, so much for Happy Easter. Thanks a lot, Travis. Glad I came this morning. But I want you to hear me for a second. What I want to do is just to 
help us to see that during this time of the year, many of us are trying to cling to a peace that will not last when God has come to offer peace that will last forever. You see, the author of Hebrews, that's what he is talking about at the very end of his letter. He says in verses 20 and 21 that peace, true peace, only comes from God. Listen to what he says in verse 20. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we are here. Jesus is not in a grave, amen? He is alive. It says, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. You see, the author of Hebrews tells us who our God is, that our God is what? Peace. But the language also tells us not only is our God peace, but our God is the one who brings peace. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we could use a lot more peace in our world, amen? I mean, all you have to do is just turn on the news, overhear a conversation at a coffee shop, sit in the Costco gas line, and you can see we are greatly divided. Just recently, this basketball tournament, you might have heard of it, called March Madness Ended, right? A few years ago, I remember watching a video online of two guys that were literally in a kidney dialysis clinic. One of them started to run their mouth about how their team was better than the other guy's team. And with that, while they were getting dialysis, somehow the guy got up, punched the other guy, and got into a fight. You see, we are divided in this world, right? So how do we heal this division? What is the answer? Where do we find peace? Many of us try to hopelessly heal the divide by seeking peace through education, through politics, through causes. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's necessarily anything inherently wrong with those. Education is a good thing. Politics can be a good thing, right? Causes can be a good thing. But all I am saying is this, they're insufficient saviors. You see, I would argue that you and I are more educated than ever before. You and I are more political than ever before. You and I have joined in on more causes than ever before. And we are still just as divided as ever before, right? You see, what the Bible communicates is only God is true peace and the only one who can bring lasting peace. And how does he do it? Through his son, Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself why we are so divided? What answer would you give to that? The Bible tells us that our problem is not a lack of education. It's not a lack of politics. It's not a lack of causes. The Bible tells us that you and me, our problem is what? Sin. But what is sin? Tim Keller hopefully writes this. He says this. He says, sin isn't only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into what? Ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. Keller goes on to give an example about taxes. Some of us, during this time of the year, we don't look forward to this, many of us don't, but we have to turn in our taxes, right? We have to do our taxes. Now, let's say a guy decides to cheat on his taxes. Why did he cheat? Well, some of us in here would instantaneously go, well, because he's a sinner. <laughs> he's wrong. He's evil. I get it. Those things might be true. He is a sinner, but what is the root of his sin? What is underneath his action? What is the motivation? Keller says that the root is making money. And through accumulation of money, the man gains status and comfort that is more important to him than God and his favor. So what have you given God-like weight in your life? What is it, if I was to ask you, what are you ultimately living for? And if it was taken away, would your life no longer be worth living? What is that thing? 
You see, when you and I live for something or someone other than God, that does not make us neutral to God and to other people. Rather, what does it do? It doesn't bring peace, but what does it do? It does this, that the thing that you are worshiping, the thing that you have given God-like weight in your life is at war with the God of this world. And it's at war with other people. You see, that is why there is no peace in this world. It's because of sin. And that's what led C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, to write this. Some of you guys have heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote a story about a lion, right? You with me? Chronicles of Narnia, anyone? Okay, no, okay, you got it, okay. I got one in the back. Good, good, you're with me. But listen to what he writes in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. That's who we are apart from Jesus Christ. We're not just bad. We don't just make mistakes. The Bible says that sin makes us dead, but sin also is very much alive in us. And what does it do? It makes us an enemy of God. And so what did God do? He did something amazing, something that you and I would have never made up, something you and I would have never have asked for. He sent his son in the world to pay the debt you and I were meant to pay, to live the life that you and I were supposed to live and to rise again. Listen to what this says. It says that God of peace is the one who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. What does that mean? It means this, that the essence of sin and idolatry is man substituting himself or something else for God. But the essence of salvation and peace is God substituting himself for man. Let me say that again. It's the essence of sin and idolatry is man substituting himself or something else for God. But the essence of salvation and peace is God substituting himself for man. That is glorious good news. You see, in the Bible, in the book of Romans, there's a guy by the name of Apostle Paul. And he writes about our great need, but he also, or our great condition, our bad condition, but then he also writes about our great need. You see, in Romans 3.23, we read this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what the Greek word there for all is? All, I studied it, it's pos, and you can translate it so many different ways. I had to do it for a test. And you know who he's saying? Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, me, and every single person we see has fallen short. And because we have fallen short, we have deserved a wage, a payment, if you will. So three chapters later, Paul writes in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. You see, a wage is a payment. You work a day's wage, you expect to get paid. Well, in the same way, because we work out our life in sin, what is the payment you and I deserve? Paul says it is death. But what follows in this very same verse of Romans 6.23 is some very, very good news. And what I like to call it is, is the word, or it's the word but, okay? Now, my kids love it when I talk about this because I said but, and I've got them. They're right down here. They're with me, okay? But I want you to see what comes after the wages of sin is death. Look at verse 23, part B. It says this, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You gotta love the big butts of the Bible. Why do we love the big butts of the Bible? Because they cannot lie. And God cannot lie, I promise you. You see, what follows this really bad news is some really good news. And what is that? 
that God the Father sent Jesus, the great shepherd that we hear about in Hebrews, the great shepherd of John chapter 10 that says, I laid down my life, I pick it up. The great shepherd that would die for us. He sent him into the world to do what? To live the life you and I were meant to live. But he also did what? He died the death that you and I were meant to die. And then he rose again from the dead, declaring that what he did is enough to reconcile you and me into right relationship with him and with one another. You see, the resurrection is like God's way of stamping paid in full across history so nobody can miss it. And it is that, the resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus alone that brings us peace. How? The moment you trust in God and what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ, the word in the Bible is called adoption. That God adopts you into his family. Think about that word of adoption. Why does somebody adopt someone? Just because they wanted them. In the same way, God has come for you. Why? He wants you. And he adopts you into his family. You become his child through Jesus Christ. But not only do you have peace with God through trusting in what Jesus has done for you, but you also have peace with one another. Because guess what? You're not his only child. There's a lot more children of God, and they're called the church. And some of you are like, wait a second, Travis, are you saying you're my brother in Jesus? Yes, you're welcome. No, some of you are like, some of you are like I don't know about that. But here's what I'll tell you. Just like I didn't get to choose who my brother was, you don't get to choose who God saves, amen? But we are called to what? Love them, to have peace with them because of the peace of God poured into our hearts. That's why we do that in our liturgy. Greet one another in peace, you see, when you and I live for anyone or thing other than Jesus and him resurrected, we won't be united, we'll be divided. And it is the resurrection of Jesus that we're here this morning celebrating. You see, it's the crux of our faith. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then you and I would just see nothing more than a display of love with no what? Hope. Why? Because what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 15? That if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, you and I are still in our sins. And it is the resurrection of Jesus that tends to trip up a lot of people. They tend to ask a lot of questions. And what I thought was extremely helpful is this quote by Leslie Newbegin. Listen to what he says. He says, doubt is not an autonomous activity. One can only rationally doubt a statement on the basis of something else which one believes to be true. So let me try to help us in this room, even me. I did not come... To, to Christ completely naive. I mean, I understood what was going on here. You see, there are some people who have tried to debunk the resurrection and they've given excuses. Maybe you've heard of them. One of those excuses I heard was that Jesus passed out. That, that what happened on the cross as he was hanging there, he passed out. When he was brought down, he was taken into a tomb. Then he woke up and then he moved the stone away. Now, I would tell you, that's just about as miraculous as the resurrection itself. And here's the reason why. Jesus was flogged. Jesus was beaten. He was bruised. He was mocked. John 19 tells us that while he was nailed to that cross, hanging up there, what happened? Roman soldiers pierced his heart and blood and water flowed out. When he was put into a tomb, he had upwards to 100 pounds of linens and herbs and all this stuff wrapped around him. And so what this argument says is that Jesus just woke up somehow took all that off without go going without food or water for three days, and he moved a one-ton stone out of the way. 
doesn't add up, does it? There are others that I've heard and have tried to argue with me that Jesus' body was stolen. And this is as old as the Bible itself. You see, in Matthew 28, we read that a rumor went around that the disciples of Jesus stole his body. Now, the Bible tells us in the Gospels that the disciples weren't big and powerful. They were tough. They were fishermen. I would say they were kind of like, I don't know, have you seen Deadliest Catch on TV? I mean, those guys are tough, right? They're pulling in the crabs, all that stuff. But the guards around Jesus' tomb were like SEAL Team 6. And what this argument tries to put forth is that the disciples, who were cowering and afraid, all of a sudden mustered up this courage, snuck past the Roman soldiers, who somehow passed out asleep and did not hear them break the Roman seal, roll a stone away, and then they would actually touch Jesus' body, ceremonially making them unclean as well as him unclean, and then take, it doesn't add up. Another one that I've heard just quickly is the twin brother theory. This one I love. Because basically what it puts forth is the argument that it wasn't Jesus on the cross, it was his twin brother Frank or Joe or Bob or whoever you want to put in there that just comes in your name right now. Now, at first you would go, maybe that's plausible. But here's the problem. Who was at Jesus' crucifixion? His mother Mary. I have two cousins that are identical, Max and Sam. I cannot tell them apart. If one of them hits the other one and it hits, I'm just like yelling names because I don't know who started it, nothing. But you know who does know? The mom, my, my, my aunt. Why? Because she brought them into the world. She knows who Max and Sam are. And then finally, some people just say it's a myth that the resurrection of Jesus was just made up. But here's the problem with that. Nobody within the culture of that time even conceived of the resurrection. Here's how I know. Jesus lived during the time of the Greco-Roman period. In that period, people didn't long for resurrection. The ideology, the religion, if you will, was that the immaterial is good, the soul, but the material is bad. So if you were to go up to a Roman guy and say, hey, Jesus is going to resurrect us in a body, they would look at you and go, that's gross. Why in the world would you want that? And the Jewish people at that time, they weren't looking for a single isolated resurrection in the middle of time. They were longing for a communal, large group resurrection at the end of time. And so if you were to go up to them and say, hey, Jesus was resurrected in the middle of time, they would look at you and go, that's crazy. What does this mean? It means this. Jesus is alive. All the best efforts to debunk it fall short. But the tomb is empty. We don't go anywhere to worship a tomb. Why? Because Jesus is not in a tomb. Amen? He's seated at the right hand of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's ruling and he's reigning. We don't worship a dead Messiah. We worship an alive Messiah who's changing hearts and lives now. Jesus lived in history, born into history, died in history, and rose again in history. Why? to bring the peace of God into your life and into our lives through his resurrection. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to put forth. And when you and I understand and experience the resurrected love of Jesus through God, we will joyfully lay down our arms and idols to live for him. Verse 21 says this, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, the author of Hebrews tells us that when it comes to being a Christian, being always precedes doing. The work of God is what makes the work of man even possible. 
And we work through who? Jesus. You see, that word there for equip simply means to mend, to perfect, to make good. It kind of reminds me of when I was growing up in Kentucky, which I'm originally from there. My dad uh, would every so, ever so often let me help him out with projects and we would build stuff. I just did this recently with my son and it kind of reminded me of this when I was a kid that when I would build something, I would go through and I'd put that nail in, right? Thinking I'm making a whole lot of progress, but what am I doing? I'm just putting in crooked nails, okay? What would my dad do? He'd come in behind me and he would nail them in to where they were flush and perfect. I would look back expecting to see my crooked nails and I would see what? Perfect driven in nails, why? Because of dad. In the same way, you and I love God, serve God, work for God's glory, if you will, not to earn anything, but out of the overflow of what he's already done. And we sit there and go, man, I tanked on that. That was terrible. And we look back and we see what? He's perfected it through his son, Jesus. That is such good news. And as the author of Hebrews that is praying that God mends our best efforts, the efforts of God's children so that we will be useful. Why? For God's glory. Because that's why we're here today, to glorify God. So do you want lasting peace and everlasting love? Do you want that? then today, trust in the resurrected Jesus who has come to reconcile you to God and to his family.